Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Thank you, Pastor David. Retaliation is something we come by all too easily. But as we saw in this passage, an eye for an eye was actually a reference to civil punishment by a government and was never intended as retaliation for personal satisfaction. Jesus gave us the proper response to offense, which is to refrain from revenge, to release our rights, to rise above the minimum required actions, and to respond to requests for aid. These responses not only show Christ-like humility, but godly wisdom. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. The Sermon on the Mount is where we're looking at God's Word. And you will remember that Jesus is basically saying, you can be religious and not have a real relationship with God. Because you can be religious and your heart not be right with God. The Pharisees, the scribes, had taken a lot of God's laws. They changed them to make them suit their own lifestyle. And Jesus pretty much knocks that in the head. He, he begins by the, what we call the Beatitudes, stating how to have a right relationship with God. You come with nothing to offer God and everything to gain from Him. And then He begins to talk about the, the righteousness that is shown in our life, and it's in a section that I've, I've entitled Tough Truth, and he uses some illustrations to drive home the point that even though you may look good on the outside, your heart may not be right with God. Now look today, you're going to love this passage. Verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile... Go with him too. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. Listen, we need some prayer over this, don't we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to understand this. And better yet, help us to apply what we do understand. Because Lord, without your spirit, we can't do this. No one in this room, no one hearing this can do this on their own. Only you can give us the power to do so. So help our hearts to be right today. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. On a winter's day, a man went to the mall. When he came back out to the car, it was very cold, and he he noticed an odor in his car that he had not had before, and he opened the hood, and much to his chagrin, he found what was left of a cat that had crawled up in the motor for warmth. 
And it had gotten in the fan blade, and it got all nine lives plus some. (laughs) And so he had a plastic, or I guess you would say one of those shopping bags, and he pulled what was left of the cat out and put it in that bag, closed the hood, set the bag on the hood, and went back into the mall to wash his hands. As he was walking to the mall or just about to the door, he turned around and remembered that he'd left the bag on the hood of the car. And he noticed a woman who walked up and was looking around and grabbed that shopping bag and took off into the mall. Well, he thought, well, this is just too good to be true. So he followed this woman. She went to the food court and walked into one of the restaurants and sat down. And he's watching her. He's just dying to see what's going to happen. And she sits down in her booth, and then she opens the shopping bag to see what she's gotten. Well, she faints. (laughs) And the management's concerned. They don't want somebody fainting in their restaurant, so they call the paramedics and the ambulance. It's not long before she's strapped to a cart on the way out to the ambulance And he couldn't resist, and just as they were rolling her out and closing the doors on the ambulance, he said, lady, don't forget your package and put the package right on her cart as she was in the ambulance. (laughs) Now, why do we think that's funny? Because she got what she deserved. It's what she gets for stealing that bag, right? A woman... A mother overheard her daughter and a little group of girls formulating a scheme of revenge toward a young lady or another little girl who had apparently done something that was very mean. But the mom was grieved because her daughter was among the chief conspirators and she called her daughter aside and said, honey, it seems to me like you're going to do to her what you would not want her to do to you. That is not the golden rule. And her daughter simply said, mama... The golden rule is all right for Sunday, but every other day I'd rather have an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. (laughs) I think it was Gandhi who said, if we all live an eye for an eye kind of justice, the whole world will be blind. Now, folks, this passage of Scripture in the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most misinterpreted and misunderstood parts of the Sermon on the Mount. It has been used to tell us as Christians that we're supposed to be holy doormats. Let everybody walk over us. Don't ever defend yourself. Don't ever take a stand against evil. That is not what Jesus is saying. Some have said it means you should be a pacifist. Some have said you should conscientiously object to military service because Jesus said if they strike you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. Some have said it leads to anarchy. You need to take the law in your own hands and so forth and so on. And it's been misinterpreted many, many different ways. But I want to remind you of the context of this. Right after speaking of the Beatitudes that we call the Beatitudes and how to have a relationship with God, Jesus takes six illustrations to indicate that the Pharisees who thought they were so righteous and people thought they were righteous too, he said, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And he he begins to show the heart of man. The first illustration, he talks about the sanctity of life. And he talks about murder and making things right with our fellow man. 
And then after that, the second and third illustrations deal with the sanctity of marriage and adultery and divorce. The fourth illustration deals with lying and spiritual credibility. And now the fifth one talks about revenge and retaliation. You're not going to like this message. And the reason you're not is because every last one of us has wanted to get even with somebody. Not only that, we wanted to go beyond getting even. We wanted to make it worse. Some of you right now are smiling because you're thinking of somebody that you'd like to get even with, aren't you? Well, among the many unrighteous things that the religion of the scribes and Pharisees included was their insistence on personal rights and vengeance. And they were very good at taking God's law and adding to it or rewriting it to make it fit what they really wanted to do. So let's look at what Jesus is saying. What does he really mean here? What does God's law say? And we begin by talking about God's law. I have entitled it the precise retribution practice. Verse 38 says, you have heard that it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That is a precise copy of three places in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch being the first five books of the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus and in Exodus, you find the phrase, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. However, in those passages in the Pentateuch, the list is expanded. Listen to what it says. And not only an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, a foot for a foot, a burn for a burn, a wound for a wound, a bruise for a bruise. In Exodus 21, 24, a fracture for a fracture. Now, excuse me, that's in Leviticus 24. So you've got Deuteronomy 19, Exodus 21, and Leviticus 24. And simply put, it means that the punishment matches the crime precisely. That's what they've been taught. If you take somebody's eye, if you commit a crime, now I'm not saying if it was an accident, I don't know how they handled that. But in a, in a crime, if you were to take somebody's eye, they're going to poke your eye out and so forth. Now, why did they do that? Deuteronomy 19.20 says, the rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. By the way, the Old Testament also talks about a life for a life. It talks about capital punishment. And he said the rest will hear it and it will deter them from committing crimes. And it was a very good deterrent. Now, it is significant that in the Pentateuch, it meant this was to be done by the civil government. You were not supposed to take the law into your own hands and, and retaliate. It was supposed to be done by the civil government, and again, it did not give you permission if somebody had done a crime against you, well, you can go get even with them. It was done through the law. Now, this law was just because it was the punishment matched the crime. It was also benevolent because it protected society by restraining evil. And you know what? Our society, our society's gotten so complicated in the legal system that we now give all the rights to the criminals, it seems like. 
But it was a deterrent at that time to keep people from committing crimes. So it was a benevolent law. It was precise. It was practiced. Retribution was practiced. It was following the Pentateuch. Now, I want to mention something else. It was also a merciful law because it limited the punishment. I call it a particular retaliation was prevented. You know why? Because it's in our heart not to just get even, but to one-up somebody. I want to make it worse for them. You see, when we have an ounce of injury, we want a pound of revenge, don't we? And so it kept people from taking their own uh, action in their own hands. It's one of the reasons that God said, vengeance is mine. Because God is just and merciful, and God will not do what we have a tendency to do. Deuteronomy 32, it's also recorded in Romans 12, 19, and Hebrews 10, 30. It prevented excessive punishment based on personal revenge. Now, you've seen this happen. A little kid bumps into another kid, and he gets mad. He pushes that kid, and the next thing you know, they've, they've got a brawl out on the playground. Or a nation offends a nation, and this nation retaliates one up some. Next thing you know, you've got a war. And you can't tell me that in your own heart, at some time in your life, you haven't wanted to do the same. Because human nature is, if you do this to me, I'm going to do it back to you, only even worse. See, they had turned God's law into a personal license. Civil justice was perverted to personal revenge. They took civil justice out of it. I'm going to get even with you. And they, and they even said that. You, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Take, it, take vengeance in your own hands. But the actual law prevented it from going a step further. Let me give you some examples. I, I was at, in the Business Farmer News, Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, in the column under for sale or trade, here's this ad. We'll trade one white wedding gown, size 16, never worn. We'll trade for a 38 caliber revolver. I heard a joke about a scientist who created a, um, some kind of serum that when he put it on inanimate objects, it would bring life to him. So he tried it out on a statue in the park of a general. He poured the serum on him, and the general began to creak. Next thing you know, he's got life, and he comes down. The scientist said, well, now that I've given you life, what are you going to do with it? And he said, that's easy. I'm going to shoot about two million pigeons. A farmer had been pestered by a carload of people who delighted in climbing the fence into his orchard, his apple orchard, and stealing his apples. And one day he walked up on them while they were eating some of his apples. And they sheepishly looked at him and smiled and said, we hope you don't mind that we took a few of your apples. He said, no, not at all. I hope you don't mind that I took some of the air out of your tires. <laughs> we have a tendency to want to get even, don't we? You ever felt like getting even with someone? Maybe you had a coworker that stole your best ideas and took credit for them. Maybe your spouse gives you the frozen beef treatment, cold shoulder. 
Maybe a crazy driver cuts in front of you out on the highway and then has the audacity to slow down. Maybe there's a critic who sees everything you do and paints it with a negative brush stroke. Maybe the boss calls you in on the carpet for no good reason. The sad fact is we tend to get even, or we live in a get even world that often adopts a get even mindset, and sometimes we do more than get even. We take it a step further. We tear others down with our words. We lash out with false accusations about things others have supposedly done. We look at people to find nothing but the worst in them, and then we share it with others. We want to get it and give it more. One summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska, a weary truck driver pulled his rig into an all-night truck stop. He was tired and hungry. Waitress had just served him when three tough-looking leather-jacketed motorcyclists of the Hells Angels type walked in and decided to have a little fun and give him a hard time. Not only did they verbally abuse him, but one of them grabbed his hamburger, another one took his french fries, and a third one picked up his coffee and began to drink it. How did he respond? How would you respond? This truck driver picked up his check, walked to the front of the room, put the check and his money on the cash register, went out the door. The waitress followed him to put the money in the till and stood watching out the door as the big truck driver drove away in the night. And she returned to the counter. Those three motorcyclists said, well, that's not much of a man. He's not much of a man, is he? And she said, well, I don't know about that, but he sure isn't much of a truck driver either. Just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. <laughs> that's how we would respond, wouldn't we? Yeah, I see a lot of nodding. Well, thanks for being honest. rest of you are lying. True story, a man by the name of Lucian had served the state of Kentucky very well, so much so that they were recognizing him. He had gone beyond the call of duty. One day, he discovered that a boyhood friend of his named Sam was in the state penitentiary and had eight more years to serve. Lucian was the man's name, went to the warden, and he said, can I visit with Sam, who was in the pen? The warden granted him the time, and Lucian and Sam sat for two hours in the warden's office and talked. And as they were about to leave, they were laughing about things that had happened in their childhood together. About a month later, Lucian visited the governor, and he said, I haven't been able to sleep. Sam, my boyhood friend and buddy, is in prison. He was a good boy, governor. And since you told me that if there was anything Kentucky could do for me to name it, I've come here to ask you for a pardon for Sam to be granted. I'll take him into my business. I have a large home. He has no family, and he can live with me and work in my business. A week later, the governor came to Lucian and said, here's the pardon, but it's yours under one condition. You need to sit down with Sam and spend two more hours with him. And if you decide to grant him the pardon... I will parole him just like you asked. So Lucian hurried over to the pen, penitentiary, and again they sat down in the warden's office and Lucian said, Sam, when you get out of here, will you go into business with me? I might be able to even get you out of here sooner than you expect. And Sam got up and walked around a while and he looked out the window and he said, 
I don't believe I could accept that invitation for I've got something to do when I get out of here, something very important, and I'm going to do it just as soon as I get out of here. What are you going to do, Sam? Lucian asked, and Sam turned around with fire in his eyes. Hatred filled his whole face as he said, I'm going to get two men together, the judge who sent me up here and the witness, and I'm going to kill them both with my bare hands. And Lucian left and tore up that pardon. Sam lost the opportunity for a pardon because his heart was so full of hatred, desiring only revenge. You see, all of us have that tendency. Somebody wrongs us, somebody maligns us, somebody offends us. We're not only get even, we're going to get more than even. So what does Jesus say here? We all understand the feelings, but what does he say? And so I believe Jesus is giving us some practical and pious response. He prescribes this to us. He, the, the holy response, you have Jesus in your heart. How are you supposed to respond? How am I supposed to respond? I want to retaliate, but there's a difference in responding and retaliating. And the first thing Jesus says, verse 39, I tell you not to resist an evil person. Come on, Jesus, really? What does he mean? You see, he's going to rebut what the Pharisees have interpreted and show them that the religious acts are different from what happens in the heart. The word resist here, do not resist an evil person. It doesn't mean to lay down and be a doormat. Resist means to oppose or be against. And in this context, what he's saying is, when somebody offends you, do not set yourself up against them. Don't retaliate against them. Don't make it your mission in life to get even with them. You see, Jesus and his disciples stood against evil. But did you ever notice that when Jesus was offended, he never repaid back what was given to him personally? That's why Paul wrote in Romans 12, 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. So he uses, he takes four human examples here, four human basic rights and uses them to illustrate what he's talking about. And trust me, you're not going to like this. And they get worse, progressively worse. So how's that for encouraging you today? The first thing he says to them is that we are going to refrain from revenge. It talks about our own dignity. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek. Now let me ask you something. If you were going to hurt someone physically, you wouldn't slap them. You'd punch them. And you might punch them in a different part of the body. I don't know. So what's Jesus saying here? And not only that, in those days, as in today, most people, most people are right-handed. Nothing against you left-handed people. I already know you're in your right mind. The rest of us are not. (laughs) 
But for, for context's sake, Jesus is saying, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, notice he says the word right cheek. If you are standing in front of me and I'm right-handed and I'm going to slap you, if I just slap you like this, I'm going to hit you on the left side. So in order to slap you on the right cheek, I have to backhand you. Now, I want you to know that was the most insulting thing you could do to anyone in that day. You see, it was not intended to hurt the person physically. Now, I'm sure it didn't feel good if you got slapped. But if I, if I were to slap you across the right cheek, which means I would have to backhand you, it was basically saying, I feel the most disdain, I feel the most disregard to you, disrespect that I can possibly give you. And at the time of Jesus, to be slapped like that was considered a terrible indignity. It was attack on your honor. It was considered to be the most extreme insult you could give someone. And so when we are insulted or we are maligned or we are treated with contempt, literally or figuratively struck on the cheek by someone, what does Jesus tell us to do? To turn the other cheek also. Now, Jesus' point pertains more to what we are not to do than what we are to do. Turning the other cheek symbolizes non-avenging. It symbolizes non-retaliatory action. It, It symbolizes humble and gentle spirit in your heart. It is the demonstration of true meekness in your heart because Jesus has you under control. The Holy Spirit living in you has you under control. And when somebody insults you, for you not to retaliate is turning the other cheek. It does not mean you don't defend yourself if somebody attacks you physically. If you punch me in the face, I'm not going to turn the other cheek to you. I'm not going to say I'm going to get up and whip you, but I'm not going to let you hit me again. I'm going to defend myself. You see, the point Jesus is making is when somebody insults you, how do you respond? Hmm. That changes everything. You see, who, who do you know that did that? How about Jesus? Jesus would get angry when he saw God's law being broken. He got angry in the temple because they had maligned the temple. He got angry when he saw the injustice of others. But did you ever see Jesus retaliate for something that had been done to him personally? Not one time. Right before he was crucified, they beat him. They spit on him. They mocked him. They plucked his beard. And yet the scripture says he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And later on, Peter, who witnessed all of it, he writes in 1 Peter 2.20, while being reviled, reviled means to heap the most abusive verbal abuse on on people. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Sounds, sounds like something you could do, but now let's get up close and personal. Have you ever heard of social media? 
Uh-oh. I don't believe social media has been a positive influence on America. Whether you use Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or instant anything, I don't know what you use. I do know this, that if somebody insults you, here we go. What do you think Jesus would have us do? Ignore it. Turn the other cheek. Oh, man. But I'm so much braver on social media. I don't have to go to the person face to face like Matthew 18 says. I can just tear them apart on social media. But what does that reveal? Reveals the heart. I told you you wouldn't like it. We're to leave the protection and defense of our dignity in God's hands. If you've got something to tell somebody, you talk to them face to face, eye to eye, nose to nose, and you have a civil discussion. You don't blast each other on social media. Can I hear an amen in the venue? Now, it doesn't always show up that way. I mean, your heart still shows. <laughs> it can come in a less graphic form. One pious but cranky old lady had been accidentally forgotten to be invited by her neighbors for a picnic. They didn't mean to. They just forgot. On the morning of the event, they suddenly realized, oh, my, we forgot to invite her. So they sent a little boy to ask her to come. She said, it's too late now. I've already prayed for rain. Well, that's kind of how we feel, isn't it? I'll get even with you. It gets worse. Not only are we to refrain from revenge, we're supposed to be releasing our rights. Verse 40, if anyone sues you, wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Everybody in those days had a tunic. Tunic was like a shirt. Most, even poor people, even poor people had more than one tunic so they could change. A cloak, however, was like a coat, a long robe on the outside, much more expensive, much more valuable. Most people, most poor people only had one. And the um, Mosaic law said that if, if, they, if you had to give your cloak, your coat, or your robe that was used like a blanket at night, you had to give it as a form of guarantee that the people who took it could only keep it during the day. They had to return it to you at night so that you would have something to stay warm in. Now, if they wanted your tunic, they could take a tunic because it was underneath. The shirt was underneath. So what is the point Jesus is making? He's saying that if someone wants the shirt off your back, give him your coat also. Really? He's saying you need to be willing to give up more than is required to settle a problem. Why? Because Jesus lives in us. Doesn't mean that you have to give up everything. Not, not obviously. Folks, Jesus didn't say check your brain at the door when you follow me. 
But if we're involved in something and these people, even if we don't think it's right, even if we lose a case, in order to lose something, to maintain some kind of relationship is more important. I wish people would get this when some of their loved ones die and they start fighting over stuff that's been left behind. I can't imagine squabbling over stuff and losing a relationship with a sibling over it. Maybe I have a right to it, but I'm willing to give that up to maintain a relationship. See, Jesus, he said, if you feel the claims are unjust, he tells us that even if you're taken to court and you lose the case, then demonstrate your righteousness by not showing anger and seeking revenge. Offer to settle the dispute even with that which is not required. It gets worse. We're supposed to rise above the requirements. This, this talks about our liberty. Now, in those days... Romans were in control. The Romans had taken over the world, Roman Empire. One of the Roman laws was this. A Roman soldier at any time could require anyone to carry their load for a mile. Romans had mile markers on their roads. Their mile, incidentally, you don't really, you might win a Bible trivia thing on this one day, but their mile was not exactly the same mile we have. Our mile is 1,670 yards. Their mile was about 1,602 yards. So they were a little bit short of what our mile is, and that doesn't really matter. That's not going to change your life, but at least at lunch you'll have something you know. <laughs> but a Roman soldier could say, hey, I want you to carry this pack. I want you to carry my load. We're going a mile. Now, what made that even worse was that they hated the Romans. So now you've got an enemy oppressor making you do something that the law says you have to do. So can you imagine being working out in your yard or you're walking down the road and some soldier says, hey, you, you're going to carry my pack. You know, in Luke chapter 23, I think it is, they pulled Simon of Cyrene out of the, out of the, the people to carry the cross of Jesus. See, they could legally do that. Hey, you, you're going to carry his cross. Get out here and carry it. Jesus is saying person that follows Jesus and his heart's been changed, you're going to fulfill the requirement, but you'll go the extra mile. Can you imagine if you finished that mile and you turned to the soldier and said, you know what? I'll be happy to carry it for you another mile. He would be shocked. He might even fall off his horse. Now, I want you to remember something. If you walk two miles, how far is it back to where you started? This is no new math. <laughs> You're going to have walked four miles. 
Jesus is saying that a person who's truly righteous will not seek revenge or complain along the way. They'll even carry a despised burden willingly with grace. We'll go two miles. It's better to surrender our rights than to retaliate. Doesn't mean we're doormats. It doesn't mean we have to lay down everything. I mean, as long as I've got breath, I will fight for freedom in this country. But personally, a lot of times, we're so caught up on our rights. My, this is my right. It gets worse. He said, we're also to respond to requests. Look at verse 42. Give to him who asks you and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. Really? You came into this world taking. You know, babies aren't real unselfish, are they? Have you noticed they cry when you want to rest? Have you noticed they don't care what you're doing if they're hungry? Have you noticed they don't care what you're doing if they need their diaper changed? They, they just are selfish. <laughs> Guess what? We're all grown-up little babies because down deep, we still have this possessive nature. What is mine is mine. I earned it. I bought it. The problem is we forget that what is yours is God's. He's just letting you manage it. You're not taking anything with you when you leave. And we forget that nothing we have truly belongs to us. We're stewards. But as far as other people are concerned, we have a right to keep what is ours. It's ours to use or dispose of as we see fit. And Jesus is not telling us, give to every person that ever asks you for something. Jesus did not heal every person that was sick on the earth. Now, the scripture talks about people who don't work. I'm not talking about retired people, and I'm not talking about disabled people, okay? But he says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10, those that do not work, neither let them eat. Sounds hard-nosed. Sometimes people can't get a job for a reason. We're not talking about helping somebody temporarily. We're talking about people who just use the system. We all know them. We've all been burned by them. They've all lied to us. Every now and then you'll meet somebody who really needs uh, 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 some help. Now, what does 1 John say about this? He says, whoever has this world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? The key to that passage is his brother. First John's written to Christians. Doesn't mean that every person I see with a need is my brother. I'm a fellow human. Do you, stay with me here. I'm as compassionate as anybody in this room. Trust me. I've also gotten wiser in my older age. I'm not an easy target anymore. I'm still easier than some, but you see, there are some people who will just lie to your face to get what they want. I've learned 
Somebody says, well, I need some money for groceries. Well, let me go down to the grocery store with you and I'll buy you some groceries. No, they don't want that. They want the money. Or if you're at the gas station, I need some gas. Well, pull your car up in here and I'll put some gas in it. No, I just need the money. God didn't say, the Lord didn't say, check your mind at the door. But he did say that as Christians, we should help one another. Christians, listen to me. You should never expect everybody else to take care of you. That there's some who say, well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a member. Y'all need to take care of everything I got. No, you're supposed to be a responsible steward. If you need some help, we will help from time to time. But we can't. I, I don't know how to make it any clearer, or maybe I haven't made myself clear, but, but, but what about the people who really have a need, who really are legitimate, and we have the ability and the opportunity to help? Jesus said, you need to help them. Don't let love for personal possessions rob you of serving God. Don't let getting burned by somebody in the past keep you from helping somebody in the future. And you know what? You have to trust the Holy Spirit to help you know what to do. Now, let me give you a piece of advice. And, and really, Jesus says in verse 42, one who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. You listen carefully. If you don't carry anything home, you carry this home. Do not ever loan anyone anything that you are not willing to give away. You hear that? Because you're probably not going to get it back. And if you want to compare scars after church, meet me in there. I will compare scars. I loaned a truck one time, never got it back. So I know what I'm talking about. I've loaned lots of money that I never got back. And I'm a lot smarter, so don't ask me after church either, because I'm not going to help you. No, I'm teasing you. But seriously, seriously, listen, you will ruin a relationship. You'll ruin a relationship with a family. You'll ruin a relationship with other people. If you loan stuff to them that you aren't willing to give away if they can't pay you back. So whenever you loan something, you young people, listen to this. When you loan something to somebody in your mind, you got to think, if I don't get this back, will it affect my relationship with them? That was free. I close with this. Two of the greatest preachers that ever lived, in my opinion, were Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker. They pastored in the same city, London. At the same time, Spurgeon was at the Metropolitan Tabernacle just across the Thames River, and Joseph Parker was at the city temple in the heart of London. One day, Joseph Parker, in his sermon, made a reference to the poor condition of the children that were admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. Word got back to Spurgeon that it was said that Parker had spoken of the poor condition of the children that were in Spurgeon's orphanage. Do y'all see the difference? Well, you know how things get twisted in Baptist churches. Here's an example. The next Sunday, Spurgeon blasted Parker from his pulpit. 
And both sermons were carried in the newspaper. And the attack became the talk of the town. Londoners the next Sunday went to Parker's church to hear what he was going to say about Spurgeon. And to the surprise of everyone, Parker said, I understand that Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today, and this is the Sunday they take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take a love offering here for the orphanage. And they had to empty the offering plates three times in order to get all of it in. Later that week, there was a knock on the door of Joseph Parker's study, and when he opened the door, there stood Spurgeon. And Spurgeon asked for his forgiveness and said, you know, Parker, you have practiced grace to me. You've given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Oswald Chambers wrote these words. If the unmerited mercy of God to me is not re-shown to others, My justification is annulled. The grace of God is a mere painted flower, and I am a play actor. God did not give you vengeance for your sin, God gave you grace. He's changed our heart. And only when you know Jesus can you respond instead of retaliating. You can be religious and not know Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, I've got some great news for you. He stands ready and willing to forgive you and to save you and to give you, more, give you life more abundantly even now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray for those now who need to repent, to turn from their sin, seeking your forgiveness, and then placing their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. We pray for the believers in this room. Lord, all of us in here have been offended We have been maligned. We have been gossiped about. We've been talked about. And we've been angry about it. Would you help us, Lord, to just lay it down in the seat where we are and leave it in here and let you handle the vengeance, if there is any. Pray, folks, Father, that you would, would, you would free people today from their revenge and hatred and unforgiveness. Forgive us, Lord, for taking things in our own hand. Thank, forgive us, Lord, for ruining relationships because of our rights. Help us to be smart. Help us to be wise when we deal with meeting other people's needs. Help us to be kind and merciful at the same time to be obedient. If you're trying to teach someone a lesson, help us not to get in the way. Lord, sometimes it's hard to know. I pray for those that need a church home. And if you want them to join South Chris, I pray you'd help them see the importance of that. To be baptized. They've been saved to let other people know. 
So Lord, the next couple of minutes, would you bring people to you in Jesus' name? Thank you, Pastor David. Retaliation is something we come by all too easily. But as we saw in this passage, an eye for an eye was actually a reference to civil punishment by a government and was never intended as retaliation for personal satisfaction. Jesus gave us the proper response to offense, which is to refrain from revenge, to release our rights, to rise above the minimum required actions, and to respond to requests for aid. These responses not only show Christ-like humility, but godly wisdom. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.